It was September 22nd, 1991, and the Penrith Panthers had did the unthinkable and won their first Winfield Cup over the Canberra Raiders. The events following this night would mark a major downfall for the club, and a massive rebuilding phase would begin. This is League Legacy, Episode 2, The Penrith Panthers, From Premiers to Disaster. Welcome everyone to the second episode of League Legacy, Penrith Panthers from Premiers to Disaster. Joining me, as last week, is Mr. Reese Sullivan. How are you, Reese? Doing good as always, AJ. Can't wait to get into another Ripper episode. The last episode was so fun to record, and I'm sure this episode is going to be a bit more on the sadder tone, but I can't wait to get into it. We'll have some good stories to bring up as well tonight, but just before we get into it, I want to bring up last week, I just want to thank everyone for the tremendous support we did receive on that story. It was great to see. And also, Super League is just being a field as it is. And I was talking to a few friends who gave me some feedback afterwards, and they're like, Steve Edmed. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's, Steve Edmed is the perfect summary of what happened in the Super League years. Okay, so what we're going to talk about tonight is obviously Penrith's first grand final, the aftermath after that, is pretty obvious, but... The way we're going to tackle it is how they got up to that premiership-winning squad. And then, obviously, with the domino effect of Ben Alexander, we're going to talk about how that ripple effect destroyed, effectively, a dynasty at Penrith. So, we're going to split this into three parts. The first part, I'm going to call the rebuild. The second part is called the golden age. And then the third part will be the collapse. So, without further ado... Let's get started into the first part called the rebuild. So I want to start by tackling 1987 for Penrith. Of course, you had their senior players, Reece Simmons and Greg Alexander, coming back from their first Kangaroo tours. So they would have been high on playing with some of the greatest players in the Unbeatables, I think that side was, Reese. Yep, the 86. Okay, uh, no, it wasn't the Unbeatables. That was 82. The 86 was... Uh, I think they lost one game. No, they were beaten as well. They were beaten as well. They were beaten as well, yeah. 1994, they lost the first test. 94 and 90, they lost the first test both times. Yeah, and they've won uh, every game since. But that's an important yeah. point, in my opinion, to bring up. So you had the experience of Simmons and Alexander there, but it was a really off year for Brandy. Uh, only 57 points. Most of the goal kicking would be taken up by Mark Bevan at the club, and you had some of their more senior players coming towards the end, like Daryl Broman coming towards the end of his career. Uh, you also had guys in there at the older age, like Chris Howes and Gary Howell, who were starting to become on the outer. And you also had um, Tim Sheens coming towards the end of what would be a mini-successful stint for the club as they got them to the semi-final series. But really, by 1987, the slide was beginning to unravel. They used 41 players in 1987. And if you use that many players, you're not going to be really competitive, aren't you? 100%. But I'd like to just focus on Greg Alexander for a second because he is, when it comes to Penrith in the 80s and 90s, he is the star of the show. Yep. Uh, no matter what way you spin it. So, you know, the late 80s, early 90s, we were blessed with amazing halves in the 
what was the New South Wales Rugby League. Yep. Uh, you had the New South Wales partnership and Daly and Stewart play for Canberra. That you was had the Queensland later on, but then you also had the Queensland partnership of Langer and Walters in Brisbane. Yep. You had Cliffy Lyons playing for Manly. You had Terry Lamb playing for the Bulldogs. Sterling, Kenny. Sterling and Kenny towards the back end of their careers with Parramatta. And because of all those amazing talents, Greg Alexander's kind of underrated. You never know? really got a look in, didn't he? Never got a look in. Only played a few Origin games. Didn't make a kangaroo tour after 86, even though he was still an elite player heading into the 90s. He made the 90 tour, but I don't think he played a test. I think the main hub, again... Pardon? He was on the French leg with the backflip. Yeah, the French leg, but he did play a test (laughs) in the English English, uh, leg. That's another story. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, you know, he's not in the Hall of Fame. You know, he's not in the immortal debate. Far from it. Yeah, 100%. You know, there was probably very few halves on their day that could beat Brandy Alexander in a duel. 100%. His kicking game game was better than a lot of halves in the 80s and 90s. I just want to bring up that point, though, Reese. He was the best player in the game, winning the Dalian medal in 1985 after having a good year with Penrith. But then had a solid season in 86, which saw him make the Kangaroo Tour. And then there was a decline after that. So would you put that down to a heavy schedule in 86? Possibly. I mean, it's sort of a curse with those Kangaroo Tours. Obviously, when you got to the late years and they were done for back into the season, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't as bad as when the players were being taken in the middle of the season. Or at some point, seasons were actually being shortened. So that yeah. the players could go yeah. on the kangaroo tour. Uh, but, you know, there was still definitely a heavy workload. Nowadays, nowadays, if you're selected for the end of season tests, your year is basically wrapped up by mid-November. A hundred percent. Back then, it was late November, early December, before you'd be getting back to Australia from yeah. those tours of England. A hundred percent, right. So it was just a ridiculously heavy workload for those players. And, you know... 86, obviously, he was still pretty young. Yeah, he was 21 or 22 at the time. So that's a pretty big, you know, shock to your system, having to play that long in a tour. And then 90, you know, obviously, the 90 tour doesn't affect him that much because, A, he plays fewer games than he did in 86. Yep, he played 17. Yeah, but then B, obviously, he's able to lead Penrith to a premiership, so... 100%. We'll get on to the premiership in a minute, but one thing that gets underlooked in this 87 season was they made the final of the uh, midweek Panasonic Cup, and they only lost by two points to Balmain in a spiteful match at Parramatta. So there was some success for Penrith in 1987, but I think what a lot of people take out of this side that struggled in 87 was the youth at their disposal they had as we just spoke about there with Brandy, they had uh, Mike Geyer coming through the ranks. They also had players in there like uh, Paul Smith, who's only 17, would be on the wing for the grand final. Colin Vandervoort, when we're talking about underrated players that never really got a look in at State of Origin, he gets a lot of the figure from Penrith supporters. Um, and then you also have guys in there like Mark Carroll, John Cartwright, all coming through the system at Penrith. 
So there's definitely a lot of promise in this Penrith side. 100 percent, there was. It was a very good mix of youth and experience. But you gotta remember, okay, when we we're talking about all this, you have to remember that, you know, Penrith for the first 18 years of their existence were one of the worst clubs yep. in rugby league. Heading into that 87 season, they'd only made the final one, which was in, in 85, you know, they'd finished eighth in 86. They finished 12th in 87. So the outside of one season, they picked up two wooden spoons and they only finished above 10th position uh, four times. Yep. Five times, actually, excluding the time they made the finals. So the club was, you know, it was a powerhouse by absolutely no yeah, stretch of the imagination. So Penrith did come second last in 1987. But as we just mentioned, there was promise building with the reserve grade coach at the time, Graham Murray, guiding the club to a reserve grade grand final victory over Manly. And I think that gave a lot of the club, a lot of the players in that side promise. And it definitely gave um, new coach Ron Willey a sort of starting platform to work with as we move in towards 1988. And again, buying experience. You had Peter Kelly, Chris Mortimer, Graham Bradley coming over from Illawarra. The big one for mine's Neil Baker. Brilliant 5'8". Mm, 100%. I mean, I mean, it feels to me as though at this point, you know, heading into the 88 season, they're now starting to realise yeah. what they've got. You know, they have a little bit of time now to make this contending window with the team they have. Because obviously Alexander's still in the prime of his career and he's still, you know, towards the back, yep. the back end of that. But Roy Simmons is already slowly starting to come towards the end of his career. You know, he was retired after the 91 Premiership. So when one of your best players is headed towards the last few seasons of, your, of their career, you have to ramp up who you're bringing in to try and get them... I, I tend to agree with that, but they also lost some experience in there as well. Daryl Broman retired. Um, brilliant young talent. Um, Glenn Nissen would go on and win a premiership with Canterbury, but the big one for mine in terms of what could have been is definitely Tony Butterfield leaving to go to the startup Newcastle. 100%. So. I mean, I mean, that's a, imagine uh, a forward pack featuring Gar and Butterfield. That would have been, that would have been good. Like, that would have... Exactly, you know, there was no one on their day that worked harder than Butterfield. And especially Newcastle fans saw that firsthand. You know, Harrigan for Newcastle. Harrigan was yep. the main forward. But it was always Butterfield that was just going in hard, playing for the team. And, you know, Penrith could have had that same combination with Butterfield and Gaia, but... Obviously, but I did have Peter Kelly at the time, and Peter Kelly was still amongst that feared forward pack that they had at Penrith. But moving in towards 1988, they were a very consistent side. They did sit in the top five for a majority of the season and wouldn't have had to go to a playoff if they didn't lose two critical games to Balmain and Manly. But among the lowlights of the season was an embarrassing loss to Easts at the football stadium, 34 points to 12. 
Like East East at that time were absolutely dreadful, by the way. Yeah, it's like it's like you know, imagine the imagine the Rabbitohs today uh, getting spanked <laughs> by Brisbane, and we're not talking about we're not talking about round two Brisbane. We're talking about round fifteen we're Brisbane. Round four is a good time. <laughs> oh, of course he brings it up. Trust the Roosters fan to bring up fifty nine nil. Who would have seen that coming? <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't avoid it. I couldn't avoid it. Um, but one of the highlights for our Brisbane—I mean, not sorry, Brisbane—you got me on a tangent now, Reese. Um, one of the highlights <laughs> for Penrith that year was um, a really uh, spirited performance against the Broncos, because the Broncos, for much of that season, were sitting around the top five and were very, very feared. And coming in after Origin, they'd be really full strength. And they held on to only lose by two points. Yeah. And they didn't score a try that day. But we all know Neil Baker and his goal-kicking boot. Yeah. I mean, you got to remember, obviously people... like I don't think people understand the gravity Brisbane had when they yeah. first came into the cop. You know, you, you think when Penrith came into the cop, they came in 67, they didn't make the finals until 85. They didn't have the okay? luxury. Yep, Brisbane, they were basically able to have the entire Queensland team, if not for some foresight for Canberra to raise South Logan <laughs> in 86, they probably would have had the entire Imagine Queensland that, team. That's another one of those uh, 50-50 moments in league where you go, oh, hang on a moment. If Canberra didn't do this, Brisbane would have had Belcher, Meninga, Jackson, Queen, Bacco. That's a straight... You come in straight up winning a... Well, you got to remember... you got to remember the only... Uh, the only person from South Logan who went to Canberra that actually left Canberra to go to Brisbane when they started just happened to be a coach by the name of Wayne Bennett. <laughs> so that's no one. Hundred percent. Again, as we look at '88 for Penrith, those two losses would end up biting them in the backside because Balmain, led by the spirit of Early Hanley, got them in at a top five with a late win over Penrith, and then they had a win, a playing match against Brisbane which they won, and then they forced a playoff for fifth place. So back in the day, there was no such thing as for and against. It was all sorted by the playing playoffs. So similar to what we saw in the NBA, you have a playing match at the moment, but it's winner takes all in this one. And I mean, Penrith were ravaged by injuries during this game. Greg Alexander was out injured. That killed them. Um, Neil Baker was stuck on the wing. Um. So they were rattled around and they got thrashed by 20 points. So, but the piece is... Yeah, I mean, I mean, 100% it's positive when you go from 12 to 6 in one season, you know, especially with a side as young as what the Panthers were putting out. Uh, And, you know, there's a lot of names in that side that lost 28-8 to Balmain. That you'll be hearing oh, later, yeah, yeah, you know, sure. guys like guys like Brad Izzard, you know, uh, a little guy, a, a guy on the bench named Stevie Carter, yeah. you know. Even though they were ravaged by injuries, the plus side of that is it gave a lot of those younger guys some final yeah. experience, and that would prove yeah. to be invaluable going forward. The most successful lineup Penrith had. And these are names you'll hear quite frequently. So guys like Baker, David Green. 
Graham Bradley, Chris Mortimer, Paul Smith, Izzard Alexander, Simmons, Kelly, Cartwright, Geyer, Van Devoort. They're, they're names that will figure quite prominently over the next few minutes as we get into 1989. So mm. they went from tw- second last at the beginning of this to six. So the signs are definitely there. And Ron Willey thought, they must be in the backs. So he goes out and buys Alan McIndoe from Illawarra and Andrew Simons from North Sydney, which were very, very good gets. Alan McIndoe's a state and um, representative winger for Australia. And Andrew Simons had proven himself consistently at the upper club at um, North Sydney. But again, they struggled on the field at the beginning of 1989. There was a lot of hype and they looked set to compete for a title. They had many question marks on them. We've lost as a heavy loss to Brisbane in round one. We've little known fullback Grant Graving scoring a double. There's one for you, Reese. Grant Graving. <laughs> and then also <laughs> a tight loss to Parramatta, which started the season unbeaten. Parramatta, they led 4-0 and and then they missed the finals. Uh, so first of all, fun fact. About Grant Graving. So he played seven games. He only scored two tries his entire career. Both of them came <laughs> in that game against Penrith. So, yeah, you can tell that at that start of the 89 season, there wasn't much expectations for Penrith. And, you know, they would bounce back. They sat second for a huge part of the 89 season. And they sat second, you know, by a fair margin I as well. It's not like... They were just clinging on. I'll you get know. to that reason why in just a moment. So, obviously, with all these losses, and then I think they also got spanked by 22 points against Cronulla as well. And Cronulla were a very consistent side in the late 80s. But there was a game against the defending premiers, Canterbury at Penrith Park, which I want to bring up now. Um, and they spanked the yep. premiers, 38 points to four. Greg Alexander got a hat-trick. And I wish I could play like the commentary of one of the tries they scored from Graham Hughes that was on the top 100 a few years ago in terms of tries because I think he might have... Um, he referenced the Harlem Globetrotter, so it must have been a good try. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it feels like, you know, those Panthers are a bit like the Harlem Globetrotters. You know, there's a lot of teams in the mix that are kind of like the Washington Generals type teams. These big, bulky teams that are going to be ramming it down your throat. You think of the Canberras with that amazing forward pack led by Glenn Lazarus. You think of the Broncos with their own forward pack led mm-hmm. by Sam Bacco. But then there's Penrith, who they mm-hmm. have a good forward pack, but most of their production is from their back line, from their guys like Greg Alexander. Yeah, and then also you know? McIndoe, and Bradley, Simons, Mortimer. Exactly. They're more like the entertainers. You know, bring up, bring up the Bulldogs yep. from 1980. A team, you know, obviously the Bulldogs would go on to win premierships as being the Dogs of War uh, later in the 80s, but that 1980 Bulldogs side, they were a team that didn't play football the way teams played football in the 70s and 80s. They were a team that would kick around, that would throw long balls, kind of like what you'd see today from a team like Parramatta or... Even Penrith today, to be honest with you. The way they've been playing the last few weeks are long balls over the top, trying to engage a defensive line, get Stephen Cryan involved with the footy. 
there's a lot of similarities, isn't there? Um, I just want to know they also had a win the week later in the slush against defending uh, against eventual premiers um, Canberra, sixteen points to six, and that's a full strength Raiders side too. Meninga back from broken arm. Um, but I want to get to a game now against South Sydney. Now, um, until this game, South Sydney had a thirteen match winning streak stretching from round two. And it was heavily favoured that for Penrith to have any hope at the minor premiership they needed to win. Yet Penrith come out and pull off the upset, 19 points to eight. And the the real stinking point for me is an intercept by Andrew Simons that turns the game. Because it was tight at this point, and then an intercept by Simons, and they go all the way, and that gets them to 13 acres Baker. If anyone knows the story of Neil Baker's career, you just plot over a field goal any time it's available. He was basically the Eric Sims of the one-point era. Right, I agree with that. Um, but it's not all sunshine and daisies for Penrith in 89 because in a meaningless game, Brad Izzard, sorry, not Brad Izzard, um, Chris Mortimer goes down with a fun injury against... A team I can't think of off the top of my head. Let me just get up how many games he played that year. He goes down with a thumb injury against Brisbane in round 16. His scheduled return date is week one of the semis. Enter Ron Willie. He was left in a difficult d- dilemma here. He, was, he had the choice to rush him back for the semis or give a full first grade debut to a new sensation out of Doms and McCarthy known as Brad Fittler. Now, if you're, if you're a good revisionist historian here, you are screaming at him to give a debut Nowadays, for Hitler. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But you've got to remember, at the time, you know, this was must-win situation because you've got to remember, okay, what a lot of people think of the finals yeah, today that's right. is you have the top four. You have the top four, and then there's everyone else below it, you know? The top four I is think, kind of set in stone. I think I'll bring up I'll bring up the Broncos yeah, for a second here because I want to bring up how the top five worked at the time. Yeah, I'll bring up the Broncos for a second. Ninety three, okay, with well, the year they won their They're second. Ninety two or ninety three. Heading into the okay. Ninety three. Okay, heading into the last week of the season, Brisbane are in second and have a chance to go first with a win over St George. So they lose St George. And they end up finishing that week in fifth. That's, that's how tight the top yeah. five is. So even though you're in the top five, even though the Panthers were in second at the time when Mortimer injures yep. his thumb, okay, every win is vital. You don't want to fall out of that sort of top three spot because you know, if you're top three, you yep. have a second chance there. Obviously, you play the major prelim first up, second verse third. Then you go uh, major semi in winner place yep, first. So, how it worked from memory. You don't want to fall in the top three. First gets a week off, which was South Sydney. Yep, second, second place first in a prelim. Winner will play and fourth, fourth beat. Souths. Winner plays first in the major. So, which is South, yeah. So, then fourth mm-hmm. v fifth. The loser of play in a elimination. Yep. In an elimination. So, winner of that 
plays the loser of second yep. versus third, while the winner while the winner of second versus third goes up and plays first. The loser of first be the winner of second and third, then plays the winner of the of the winner the winner of the winner of fourth v fifth versus the loser of second v third, while the winner of first versus the winner of second v third goes Correct. straight to the grand final. And then the winner of that last game joins them in the grand final. So most of the time, you'd end up having first and second playing against each other. And then two weeks later, first and second play each other again in the grand final. Okay, so now I want to bring up a story from um, Mark Guy's column in the Rugby League Week in 2002 called Pain of Passion. I've shown this to Reese and it's pretty, pretty gruesome, so we're going to give a bit of a warning here. <laughs> In a story that both shocks and dismays when told at a dinner function is of when 1989, Chris Louis Mortimer breaks his thumb in a competition game four weeks before the semis was decided in time to become club doctor. It was a week before an extremely important semi-final clash against the Tigers and Ron Lilly had picked rookie Brad Fittler to play his main and finals campaign. Ron's selection was based on Louis not getting a doctor's clearance to play, therefore ruling him ineligible for a selection. We all turned up to training on Tuesday before the game with Louis' hand still in a half cast and with a steel pin protruding about an inch out of his thumb. The next sequence and events would make even Mike Tyson winch. So please just skip ahead if you don't want to listen to this. So he proceeds to go, fuck this, said Louis. What do you mean we all said at once? I don't need a fucking doctor to tell me my thumb's all right. I'll take the fucking thing out myself. Referring to the steel pin in his fucking thumb. <laughs> Don't worry, it gets even better. Blokes like me, Brandy, Steve Carter, Ben Alexander were all giddy with excitement. <laughs> that is typical MG. That is well, typical MG. I'm excited to see a man go through pain in an ass to get. But it does show his toughness, but it gets even better. We couldn't believe what we were about to see. <laughs> Nor would we imagine that he would really do it. So off he went to get his toolkit. Lou was a carpenter. Luckily, hey. Pulled out a big, dirty, big pair of pliers and proceeded to pull the steel pin out of his broken thumb. The giddy, excited atmosphere turned to one of, what the fuck? <laughs> You couldn't believe that he just pulled a steel pin from his thumb without fainting or indeed not even blinking. Truly amazing sight in looking back. As far as tough footballers go, C. Mortimer holds top billing as far as he goes. The club doctor at the time, Norm Sullivan, still shakes his head whenever this story is brought up. I wonder why. <laughs> look, look, the three Mortimers, okay, Chris, Steve and Peter... They were top mofos. Like, there is no question about it. Those guys would do anything to play footy, including ripping steel pins out of their thumbs, apparently. (laughs) It is beyond insanity. But without Mortimer's braveness, they do lose their next two games against Balmain 24-12, despite Fittler scoring his only team's try. And then they also got bundled out a week later to uh, Canberra, 27 points to 18. But again, the signs are there. These players now have a week-in, week-out semi-final 
experiences. I see Brad Izzard's name on the wing. That's Circa Jane McCracken from our last podcast, playing him out of position. <laughs> well, look, I mean, it's interesting with that series. Obviously, when you're second, you aren't expecting to lose in back-to-back matches. It's because, first of all, you're playing mm-hmm. third. But then if you lose that, you're playing against a team that probably had to make a run just to get into the finals in the first place, in either yeah. fourth or fifth. So it's expected that they're tired, whereas you've had a chance to rest players. You've come off a tough loss. You're fired up. You're exactly ready to right. go. Like, exactly right. I feel as though this could have been a really big turning point. It would be become a massive turning point when you look at it because Ron Willey would yeah. go at the end of the year. Yeah, because Ron Willey and you'd hire Gus, that's massive. But at the same time, they could have done the opposite. They could have just, you know, dropped their bundle and fallen back down the ladder, and that would have been the end of it. There would be no story. It's just a team that makes, it's just a team that makes a great run one year, has a tough finals road, kind of think Paramount in 2017. You know, even the Gold Coast, yeah, in 2010, yeah, we can say. You know, they make this, yeah, they make this great run, uh, get lucky with some results at the higher end of the table using the McIntyre mm-hmm. system, end up in a preliminary final where they then get spanked mm-hmm. by the Roosters, heads drop, they don't make it back to the finals until exactly 2016. Right. So that concludes part one called the rebuild. Now we're going to move on to the second part called The Golden Age Under Gus. Now, this will cover years 1990 to 1991. So we're going to start off at 1990. So first of all, I want to discuss the games that they had that year. So they brought in uh, Peter Tunks from Canterbury and Greg Barwick also from Canterbury. So these guys are going to be the Canterbury refugees for this point. They followed Gus over. you got to remember, you got to remember, okay? Canterbury Under Gus. Had been mm-hmm. in 88. Uh, mm-hmm. Beating Balmain may or may not be because of Terry Lamb's hitman tactics on Ellery Hanley. But, but that's if, you look at the, if you look at the players Gus lost in 89 at Canterbury, you lose guys like Potter, Curry, Hagen, Sandy Campbell. They're massive losses. Even Turvey. Yeah, but... On top of that, you've got to remember though, okay? So, like I said, they won the premiership under mm-hmm. Gus in 88. But even looking further back, obviously you had the entertainers of 1980. But then between that, they won grand finals in 84 and 85 and finished the runners-up in yep. 86. And three of, the, three of the most dour grand finals you will ever watch. All right, believe me in that. Those three grand finals. No, typify the 80s in a nutshell. Those teams. Exactly. Not just the 80s. The yeah, 80s exactly. Like the tough grilled, yeah. Warren Ryan style approach. And it led to a lot of drama, didn't it? It did. But the thing I want to point out is, you know, what you're getting is a Penrith squad that started to get some finals yep. experience. And now all of a sudden you had two rugged Bulldogs forwards who have grand final experience. Exactly right. I mean, no, Greg Barwick didn't play in the And that does wonders to a squad. He didn't play in the grand final, but, you know, Tunky, he was one of the hardest 
props you will ever see in rugby league. And his experience heading into that Panthers squad in 1990 will prove to be invaluable for how that team's going to go. All other games were Paul Taylor, former Parramatta hooker, and also would feature the debut of one Ben Alexander, which we'll touch on in the third part. And we might touch on him a little bit here as well. Um, also, losses, some experienced losses. Gerard, Baker, Goodwin and Carroll, all gone. A lot of losses in the forwards as well to bring up. But we're going to get into 1990 now. It's tipped to be great. A lot of pundits are predicting Penrith to be right up there with the arrival of Gus. And they finished runners-up in the preseason Channel 10 Cup, losing to Canberra 12-0. How ironic. But That's good for foreshadowing. But Origin Piri nearly tore the club apart. When you look at it as the schedule as it went down, from round eight probably to round 17, they were ripped apart. They had losses to Cronulla, Canterbury, scraped against a pretty pathetic east side. Um, a narrow a loss to Illawarra and then a bad loss to Balmain. Yeah, heading into that round eight clash with Cronulla, they sat second, mm-hmm. you know. They, they would drop to as low as six during that uh, poor run of form. And after that loss to Balmain, they sat fourth. So like I said in, uh, the, in 1989, if you're a team playing final footy with genuine premiership aspirations in the 90s, you don't want to be below third. And here's Penrith a team that most pundits are, you know, expecting to go deep in the comps. And by the the end of round 17, so there are only five games left in the season, they sit fourth. It's not a pretty position for them at the moment. But they would rebound. But before they rebound, there was a bit of derailment at origin time, as we spoke about. But this led to a lot of player angst and a lot of players getting really, really pissed off at each other. Um, in particular, um, some of the guys that they brought, like Paul Taylor, for instance, was pissed off at the game time he wasn't getting because Roy Simmons was getting dropped to reserve grade at the back end of his career. But that's just not how it goes for me. It's interesting to note, Simmons was named captain in 90 of the 90 squad. He, he captained 16 games and was getting dropped. Uh, Chris Mortimer was captain for a big chunk of the season because Simmons was just being dropped to reserve grade. Like, nowadays, dropping your captains unthinkable. You think back to Brisbane last season, Darius Boyd was a passenger and they kept him in the squad all the way through to yeah, their final series. Through and, the year, they had a chunk of players at fullback. They tried Brad Fittler at fullback in 1990. Yeah. And I think the craziest part of having poor old Roy Simmons getting yeah, dropped, when he, yeah. was brought, when he was brought back to the side, he was immediately being reinstated as captain. That just importance, doesn't it? Like, so if you're going to drop him, and then pick him back up and make him the mm-hmm. captain of your club. Why drop him in the first place? As a wake-up call, giving kids a chance, you know? Like, 
I think you've got proven leaders there like a Chris Mortimer. And, you know, Royce is coming towards the back end of his career now. Gus is just looking for that next man up mentality. But that's Phil Gold in a nutshell. He didn't hesitate to cut and change his squad. Think of Michael McGuire right now. Thing. You know, the Tigers, yeah, the Tigers have gone through the most players so far this season. And they're still technically in the exactly hunt for final right. three. But I want to talk about the emergence of some players here. We spoke at the beginning about one Greg Alexander, but I think at this point he's taken sole control of the way they operate. And you go back to a game at Canberra. Um, they went down there with a few key players out and they go on to win 23-2 to two at Bruce Stadium. And this place was considered a fortress. Yeah, I mean, you know, you think about Canberra, you know, even mm-hmm. throughout history, they rarely lose mm-hmm. in Canberra. You know, that's a place where they, it's cold. Teams don't usually play mm-hmm. in that cold condition. And Canberra adjusted very well. I'm convinced, I'm convinced that in their preseason program, they spent time <laughs> in the Arctic. Because they just handle the cold extremely well. And it's just an extremely tough place to play. And to get a win there, especially against the Canberra sides of the late 80s, early 90s, you look at the names on that side and you wonder how they were under the cap. Spoiler alert, they <laughs> the were. The was emergence but, came about in the semi-final series. And they played the major semi against Canberra. It's 12 all in golden in extra time as it was back in the day. They would go on to win by a convincing margin. 30 points to 12. Alexander grabbing a try. Royce Simmons finding a try. But it just shows the staple, mate, that Brandy, Freddie, sorry, MG, Cartwright, all the names that you'll hear figuratively over the next few half an hour or so. It's just remarkable. Yeah, I mean, you've you got to remember, though, this was the time where no one was sure where Fitzgerald mm-hmm. was going to play. You know, he was kind of this new-age player. He had, he had the speed and size of a center. He could take head-ups like he point. was a lock. But, but he could also play like he was a 5'8". So... No one at Penrith knew what they should do with him. He was being thrown around the lineup. Like anyone's business. Like he was. Like he was basically just a common utility. Think about, you know, Lance Hill higher on those Warriors sides in the late 2000s. You know, Chris Conspiracy as well. Ben Hunt at the start of his career. I'm bring up a point very quickly. Do you think that confusion around where Brad Fittler's best position was probably led him back to the ARL into Sydney City? Partially. I reckon, you know, you, you think the Roosters and you immediately think about how they're just able to buy the That's league it. almost. Uh, yeah. But I think the big thing with Fittler especially, even heading into that season, he, pro- he probably still didn't have a set position. It'd be narrowed down to, you know, either lock or 5 mm-hmm. eight. 
But I think I feel as though he wanted to play more five eight. But the Panthers wouldn't let him. I just want to move on to. 100%. So I, I, I reckon, uh, I reckon Nick Pilato <laughs> going to his ear <laughs> and said, "Mate, you, if, obviously he's already made the decision to go to the NRL. I don't know whether or not that security." was what influenced him to the era, or if it was just the money being thrown at him. Yeah, I just want to make that. But I reckon, to go to the Roosters, Uncle Nick got into his ear and said, mate, we'll let you play 5-8. And that, so that's what told him. So win after Canberra got them straight through to grand final. And I want to bring up another story from MG. And I actually reached out to MG and asked him about this story. Um, so, Penrith boys at the time rarely go out to the city. So they decide to go there. That's what makes them an outlier. That's what makes them an outlier. These are these are guys who would go into the city to party, like you know, the other clubs like Sydney, even Brisbane would go out. You know, Arthur Langer would be leading bands down, down to the, the races into the city to party. <laughs> that came later. That came later. But you know, <laughs> Penrith, all they had was Panthers, and. Even at Panthers, they wouldn't do much. They'd go have some drinks, have some fun, but they wouldn't go overboard right. until later on. We'll get to that um, in a little while. But at that time, 1990, these were a group that yeah, was just serious about footy. A testament to the time. So the guys came down to Sydney for the traditional grand final breakfast. MG and a few of the boys decided to go loose at a nightclub. Then they all scurry together around a hotel room, just trying to hide any way they can because Big Bad Gus was going to come in and bust them. And then Gus opens the door, and they're all just got these innocent looks on their face, and he singles MG out. MG, I can see you hiding underneath the fucking pot plant. <laughs> so they're in their room at about two in the morning. He's like, boys, I hate to break it to you, but you've just lost the grand final. And so they go out to their breakfast, bleary-eyed as fuck. And Gus just blames it down on sleep, but now we know the full story. So... Yeah, you got you got to remember, uh, nowadays... It's off the agenda completely. The grand final... I mean, you think about it. I remember in the lead-up to the 2015 grand final, Jonathan Thurston didn't even travel to Sydney to collect That's his right. Gallagher medal. You know, everyone, everyone knew he was going to win it, but he stayed in Townsville to prepare with That's the team teamwork. for the grand final. And meanwhile, you go back, what, 20, uh, 25 years earlier, and you've got guys partying in the nightclub the night before it's the grand very, final. It's very, very different. It's crazy to and think so about. I want to get on in a grand final from 1990, and Penrith started pretty poorly. They were down 12-6 at the break. But then something clicked for Penrith. Two quick tries from um, Fittler and Paul Smith. Sorry, Fittler scored in the first half to lay up to halftime. Paul Smith got a quick one. But Alexander did have an off day with the boot. Replacement forward Joe Vitanza takes the ball up and it spills loose. Picked up by Daly. Gives it away to young Matty Wood. And he scores a try to make it 18-10. The game practically over at this point. Brandy gets a late try for the scoreline look a bit even. And that's how it finished up at 18 points to 14. So that's how Penrith's first grand final tilt went. 
Reese, anything you wanted to add to their grand final tilt? Well, first of all, just pointing out uh, a bench player on the Canberra side named ah, Bellamy. Uh, Craig Bellamy, first of all. Yeah, so you can tell even then, Canberra, you know, they might have lost out on Bennett in 88, but they still had a super coach in their ranks. Uh, and just to make it a bit even more ironic, Canberra were being actually coached yep. by Tim Sheen. You know, the coach Penrith had dumped after their yep. disappointment in 87. But, you know, like I said with the last one, getting bundled out of the finals two, three times. This is a big, Step forward. you know, fork in the road for Penrith. Because you either continue down the path you're on, continue being competitive. When you get to a grand final, usually that's the summit. Teams, especially runners-up, are rarely able to go to back-to-back grand finals. Let free in the case of Canberra and so on. Even Melbourne yeah, today. Canberra makes... Canberra made three straight. Even on today, yeah. It's very hard to go to the back-to-back to back grand finals. So Penrith could have easily dropped their bundle and said, well, we're done for now. We got into the grand final. We played a decent game of footy, but we're just not good enough to beat this Southern Order in Canberra. Could have dropped their bundle, slid down to maybe fifth or out of the finals even in 91, yeah. and that would be it. But, you know, we get to where we get today because these tennis players, they were hungry. As we'll see in a minute. You know, Phil Gould, Phil Gould had already won a premiership with yep. Canterbury. He wasn't out there trying to cement his coaching legacy by winning yep. his first premiership. But a lot of these players were. And there's one in particular, you know, heading into his final season of professional rugby league who wants to win a premiership more than anyone else. And unfortunately for him, the premiership came in the year he was stripped he of the was. captaincy. Greg Alexander did take over the captaincy in 1991 because Gus was a planning of the future type of guy. It, and they spoke about this prior to the season and Royce was happy, more than happy to let it go to fall to him. So, which is an interesting concept in itself. Um, John Cartwright started the year captain that year because Greg Alexander came back via reserves via the Kangaroo Tour. Um, other things to point out that year, they lost some experienced players. They lost the likes of Kelly, Mortimer, Tunks, Mackendo, Bradley, Craig Connor. That's a lot of experience, but their key players, Gaia, Cartwright, Fitler, Alexander, came back superbly from the Kangaroo Tour and started 6-0-1. The loss came to, sorry, there was a draw against um, Nui, and then there was a loss in round eight against Wests. Now, we spoke about those losses in the early part of the season. That left the alarm bells ringing, but they wouldn't let the alarm bells ring this time. They would only lose a further two games. One's a 20-0 loss to Canberra during origin period. Another is a 20-12 loss to Brisbane, and then there's a 14-12 loss in there to um, Cronulla in the later part of the season, but the minor premiership at this stage was already assured. Guy missed six games as well because of the uh, <laughs> high tackle on Paul Hoff. As well, Reese. Yeah, uh, 
I want to just go through, you know, the representative players that were yep. in this Premier squad. Because yep. you think about Premiership winning teams, and you know there's going to be a fair few rep players from. in there. And, you know, okay. it wasn't any different for Paris. 91, Greg Alexander doesn't actually get selected for the Kangaroo well, end of the year test. But he does play... He does play for New South Wales, breaking that combination of Daly and Stewart. And also, yeah, he also the City. Steve Carter plays for country. Had... John Carfright plays for Origins New South Wales yeah. and for the Kangaroos. Paul Clark yeah. plays for City. Paul Don plays for country. Brad Fittler, City, New MG South Wales, Tri-Fenter. and Australia. Mark Guy are the same. Brad Isler, he's playing for New South Wales now. Paul Smith playing for City. Colin Vandervoort playing for City. And then obviously you've also, you've also got Roy Simmons. Roy Simmons, who somehow managed to play for country and City. I just want to stop you City, there for a second, Rhys. for New South Wales and Australia. If I can, sorry. Um, Colin Vandervoort would have been a shoo-in for State of Origin this year, but he suffered a very bad injury against East, which saw him miss selection for State of Origin. But he was assured of that lock position for State of Origin Game 1. That lock position... Ended up going to. Let me have a look. Des Hasler. Yeah, and then Desi would make that position and his then own Brad up the next few years. He did Brad Fiddler. Clyde. Would take over. Vanderbilt never made it into the Origin Arena. You know, you figure out guys who have been injured uh, before getting the chance to play Origin. You know, a recent example would yep. be Luke Keery. Uh, yep. Obviously, two straight years, he's looked like he's going to be named as 5'8". I reckon he's got a good chance this year, though, considering um, the origin at the back end of the season. He will, as long as, it, as, as long as he can stay healthy, he will. I mean, obviously, there was that concern last week with him going off at yep. Melbourne. But now that we know yes. he'll be back by finals, unless there's something catastrophic happening... Don't you fucking jinx it. I, don't, I, I can't yeah. see... I'm not going to jinx... I'm not, <laughs> I'm not trying to jinx it, but... You know, I can't see anyone getting picked out of Kiri. He'll get his chance. Vanderbilt didn't. And, you know, you think about injustice in footy. I think missing out on origin selection due to injury might be the worst feeling in the world. Right. Um, so let's go through to the semi-final series. They beat Norths and get the week off. They learned from last year's disaster... <laughs> and they'll go and they stay, and they stay very disciplined and then they go through to grand final against Penrith starts off brilliantly Roy Simmons grabs himself a try and then the master skills of Brad Klein gets a magical run sets up Matt Wood both times Meninga kicked one goal Wood kicked another Mal Meninga was pretty ordinary with the boot and then becomes the turning point an apparent high tackle from Mark Guyer Led to the loose carry and Paul Smith scoring. Martin TV Weeks, the touchy that would always come on the field with his flag during a television game, which gets the nickname. So Mark Guyer abused the living shit out of him, added for Noah Blake style, and gets him in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I robbed him you of did. Churchill. When a player gets. Yeah, 100% it did. Uh, when a player gets sent to the Sid then. Especially in a grand final when your team is down uh, 12 6 at that point. Mm-hmm. It's n- not 100%. a good thing. 
I mean, you look at you look at the Roosters last year. Cooper Cronk getting sent to the Sydney for a professional foul. At that point, they were mm-hmm. up eight six. So all they have to do is hold on. Even though they're down to twelve, all they have to do is hold on, and look at they're Melbourne still in a good position. Twenty eighteen, the first time. Yeah, Melbourne's something similar. When Munster oh, yeah, went to the thin bin, they collapsed. They collapsed. You know, they had to... Because when you get sent a player sent to the thin bin when you're losing, not only do you have to hold on defensively... You have to attack the ...with 12 men, but you still have to find a way to score yeah, points 100%. because you're down. And Penrith, well, we know, they were able to hold on quite well. And get themselves in the position where they could So I want to bring up that fall. point now. Um, so Mark Guy comes back on and he delivers a pearler of an offload to Fittler. Fittler does a trademark step, supports back to Brad Izzard, playing in his last game as well. Score- oh, no, it wasn't his last game. He played in um, 92, sorry. And he scores the, the game tying try. Then Alexander nails a field goal from 30 out, which we touched on on another podcast that field goals from long distance in this year were rare. Um, well, they, they were usually were, hit low. Hot shots. You, the, nowadays, you look at field goals and you think anything within 40 is distance for a good field goal shooter. Sometimes you have the freaks like Lockyer, Marshall, and Latrell Mitchell who can hit from further out. But back then, you know, they hit their field goals so low and so hard that anything from further than 25 out was in danger of hitting the crossbar. Yeah, 100%, right. Um, so from there, they went and it just held Penrith at the line before an infamous short drop out by Scotty Gale, landed in the arms of Fittler, straight, into Alexand- straight on to Royce Simmons. And the rest is history. Penrith go on to win their first Winfield Cup. And the celebrations in Penrith were absolutely insanity. But unfortunately, an event in the next year would lead a club into a deep, deep hole. Just want to point out, mm-hmm. Roy Simmons. So, obviously, the 91 Grand Final was his last game in first mm-hmm. grade. And... As they get to Panthers, there's a whole crowd mm-hmm. waiting for them. They're celebrating. Roy Simmons gets up to the do bees. a speech. Obviously, you know, being his last day. He turns around and says he will go and drink a beer with every single person. How many in people are there? There's hundreds <laughs> of people. He says he'll drink a beer with everyone, and he actually did it. While the rest of the group was off partying with them with their own selves, he went around with every single person, sat down with them and had, had a beer. He would have been absolutely hammered by the time he was getting to the last few people, but he did it. And, <laughs> oh, mate, mate, we're talking, we're talking if he was on RBT, he would be the headline. 25 times more over the legal limit. But unfortunately, <laughs> we are going to be talking in this third oh. part of stuff that is very, very serious. So I warn that if you are a younger listener, like a very young listener, that you have a parent with you, I just want to get the uh, parental guidance stuff out of the way because we are going to be talking about some very serious stuff. 
If you thought the uh, Chris Mortimer stuff was bad. This is, this yeah, is, this is bad. Yeah, we had raw yeah. stories from everyone. Um, police that were there. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about. So, third part is called The Collapse. And the gains that year really represented that. Andrew Leeds came over, Glenn Nissen, Graham Lyons, and Brett Boyd. They lost, obviously, Simmons and Greg Barwick. So, the season, there was a post-premiership hangover for Penrith. A loss in the grand final rematch to Canberra. And then they got whacked by Nui, 14 points to two. So, there's definitely a post-premiership hangover here. But everything's good when they bounce back with three straight wins over pretty formidable opponents. Manly, Brisbane, and Illawarra. So things look on the upper at this point. Yeah. But I want to pay everyone's attention to round 12. And that was a game against the ladder-leading Easts at the at Penrith Park. Ben Alexander was dropped for the first time this season. And obviously, young players, when they're dropped, their attitude drops. And... Penrith went on to win this game 23-10 to 10, with starring goals by Fittler and young Tolson Tollop, who made his debut, I think, in this game and would be a prominent player for the rest of the season with the unforeseen events that we'll be talking about. So after that, they go on and have their uh, Premiership laser presentation at the club. So, obviously, all the players are in their attendance. What got their premiership laser jacket for their performance in the grand final. And then, after that, Ben Alexander, along with young teammates Luke Goodwin, Glenn Lydiard and Scott Murray, were going off to a nightclub. And... It's worth noting, I'll just... It's worth noting that, you know, after that 91 premiership win, there was a big drinking culture that emerged at Penrith. Uh, obviously, there were a bunch of players heading to the nightclub, but even at Panthers, you know, I was able to speak to a bartender uh, who worked at Panthers at the time, and he said, you know, on a Friday night, you know, as long as they had a game on Sunday, on a Friday night, you'd be seeing guys like MG, the, the Alexanders, you know, they'd all be coming down and having a drink. You know, I spoke about how in 90, this was a team that was focused on getting to the top of the mountain. Once they got there, that focus was gone. They, you know, obviously every team wants to defend their premiership. You want to stay at the top of the mountain. But for them, you know, they were living in the moment for too long. It's not like... 100%. Um, so... Alexander, Goodwin, Lydiard and Murray were on their way to a nightclub and obviously if a rugby league fan had heard about the um, advertising campaign they did with um, Greg and Freddie last year, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but it was a very popular campaign. So the story that that's been going around recently is the one that they've been, they're playing some stupid game about daring to go across a red light in traffic. Obviously with drinking and 
delayed reaction speeds. Ben made an ill-fated decision to go through that. And the results can only be described as catastrophic. Ben was killed instantly. And one of the police officers who was the first on the scene who I've been in contact to said the car was an absolute mess. And they did a BAC sample afterwards six times over the legal limit. It's just, you know, you think about tragedies in sport. And, yeah, I mean, you have guys like Sonny Fye who passed away saving loved ones. You have guys like Alex McKinnon who had their lives turned around because of things that happened mm-hmm. on the field. But then when you get to the case of Ben Alexander, you know, this was completely unavoidable. It feels like, you know, what happened to Cody Bryant uh, this past year, you know, something that was completely avoidable. It didn't have yeah. to happen. Um, but people made decisions, which in hindsight is absolutely stupid. 100%. But ultimately, they would have to pay the ultimate price because um, of those So, obviously, people were called. The first three people called were Don Feltus, who was the main hierarch at Penrith, basically the Nick Politis of the club. And then you had MG and Alexander. So, you had the police officers trying to restrain these big guys from coming over and actually had to detain Mark Guile because... He was throwing punches at police officers trying to get to the body to help them out. And this obviously caused a ripple effect around the club. Ben's death rocked the club significantly. And to no one's surprise, this translated on the field. They were third at the time of the tragedy and then they free fall down the ladder, losing only, winning only one of their last six. So... Well, they won... They won their game the, following against the week after. Uh, a clash with West, which, which put, put them, them up, up to third. Yeah, sorry. Uh, they were six. They, they had an awful start to the season. Which we tried to bring up. Uh, but that went over West. Yeah, that went over, uh, that went over West. The funeral was the week third. after. That's what I was trying to translate. But yeah. then... And, you know, that week they lose 14-6 to eventual runners-up to George. And, you know, their, their run home was definitely tough. Uh, they have to put... Their losses, you know, they lost to a up-and-coming Newcastle side. They lost to Manly, who... Free again, the top up-and-coming. Five. They lost to... Yep, they lost to the eventual premiers in Brisbane. They lost to one of the form teams in the Copa de Illawarra. And then that last loss that to the Gold Coast. You know, they were already out of final contention. Yeah, they were already out of final contention. Wally Lewis's last game. Of yeah, course, so he's going to want to win. I mean, Brandy yeah. was back in the side but, at that point. But again, the damage is already done. Mark Guy, as we mentioned, was out of control. Only played five games that season and didn't play another following the, the tragedy. And Phil Gould just told him that he was too out of control and couldn't play for them anymore, which saw him go to Balmain under... Shock Jock Alan Jones. So that just shows, I mean, no disrespect to Balmain, but it just shows that there was an offer on the table 
to keep going and that offer wouldn't last long. But... I mean, it, it, make, it would make more sense in today's game, you know. I mean, obviously we're lucky enough in the NRL. We haven't experienced the death of a player. Obviously, Sonny Fry's death in 2009 was a massive tragedy. But it did happen just before the start of preseason, right in the middle of the uh, Christmas yeah. break. Because I remember the first yeah. day after Christmas break for the Warriors was spent with the team in the war trying to search for him. Tragedy. I mean, another one that's brought uh, up just on Christmas was, um, or even in preseason training, you had Jeff Selby, 1989. You had James Matthews as Def, who was an up-and-coming Roosters player, one rookie of the year in 92. So you can guess, you can kind of say that's the case as well. Yeah, it happened six months apart. Two road accidents costing the lives of two of the most up-and-coming stars in rugby league at that time. 100% right. It's just absolute tragedy. And But, but you know, for, some, for something to happen to a player of the quality of Ben Alexander in the middle of the season, you know, it's unprecedented and I mean you know this is stuff that happens almost on a daily basis it's unfortunately sad. there's so many unnecessary drunk driving accidents so many fathers brothers sons who don't come home because they made some poor decisions it's very upsetting to think about another one could say mid-season was the um, death of that Collingwood player that Darren Mullane in 1991. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you know, when you think of things like that, you don't expect it to happen to someone, you know, with fame, much less someone in the middle of their fame, like a rugby league player in the midst of their career, which I, I think, you know, in the Penrith community, that's what was the most jarring thing about Ben Alexander because last week we saw him on the footy team and now we're picking up the papers seeing his car strewn all over the the Great Western Highway. The edition on the 26th was Penrith Mourns and there's a picture of the coffin driving through Penrith. But I want to talk about how this impact had a profound effect in the years after Woods. So 1993 is another disaster season as Penrith endured a massive clean-out that season. So you had guys like Guy, as I mentioned, Leeds, Tollett, Dunn, Green, Nissen, Izzard, Bentley, all trying to get out of the club and succeeding. And you need to replace those players. So you still brought in some critical players like Mark McGaw, Ashley Gordon, Ryan Girdler, Ian McCann, Brett Gillard. Uh, Chris Castle, Chris Quinn, they're all good players. But it's a hefty void to fill, isn't it? It is. I think it's also worth noting as we get into it. In that 92 season, Phil Gould actually missed the game. I think. And the the Gold Coast game at the end. You know... Graham Rogers came in as the caretaker coach for the game. game. Like, 
I don't know. I, I would have a feeling as I'll look it up and I'll try to get a definitive answer. But my first instinct is that just the stress of what went on that season. He had an ear infection and he couldn't fly. And, okay, ear infection, but probably probably didn't want to make an effort to with everything yeah, that went on. You know? I, I can't imagine the stress he would have had. Everyone. Obviously, first of all, first of all, you have the team collapsing after a premiership. You have the death of one right. of your younger players. Yep. You have to turn around to one of your star players and say you're no longer wanted by the club. It's, it's, it's a disaster. Like, those are, that's just a nightmare for a coach. That's the name of this podcast from Premiers to Disaster. Just, it's a ripple effect after another, and that's why I think it's important that we discuss the immediate aftermath. So, Penrith, this... Backfield drama translated onto the field, winning only one of their first 10 games, ironically, uh, coming up against Penrith, up against Balmain, sorry, against a Mark Guy who didn't even play that night. So 26 to 10, that game finished. But Penrith were in last position for a, a good portion of the season in a few games around the bottom of the table. But they had some... All right, performances where they played all right. They beat eventual grand finalists St. George at the back end of the season at home, 18-14. But the cracks had already formed for mine. Gus's future is questioned. But if there is a bright spot, it's the continued week-in, week-out performances of Fitler, Girdler and Alexander for mine. Alexander playing with a lot of undue stress with the, the run of the mill and season, you could say, trying to be respectful. But he carried a massive chip on mm. his shoulder with what happened. You know, it becomes eventually, eventually, it would come back to Blake Alexander. And we see later on that he just Which had to get what, As we discussed in our Super League but, podcast, saw him go to Auckland. Yeah, but all that time in that 93 season, well, first of all, he's kind of running on fumes at this point, you know. In the last seven years, he's been on two kangaroo tours. He's had two deep finals campaigns, which have ended in the grand final. And he's had his younger brother pass away in a tragic accident. You know, mm-hmm. I can't imagine the fatigue, the pain of playing week in, week out that, you know, he would have been under, but... To his credit, he kept pushing through it. And, you know, it's amazing that he was able to continue playing at such a high level despite everything that went on. Obviously, you know, we'll find out a year later, it's not quite high enough to be in the two aside to 94. But he is still one of the best cards in the um, comp. But one thing I do want to bring up is the already questioning of Phil Guild's future. And that would become to draw to a head in 1994. And again, a major downfall of this was Mark McGaw's relationship with Phil Gould, which was, I'm told, on eggshells. So that's why McGaw left. You know, it's crazy. 
it's crazy to think about with Phil Gould because you think about the coaches that Penrith had. <laughs> Bob Boland lasted five years without the club getting yep. further than eight. Uh, you had Lance Stacker go Beard. three years despite the club finishing 10th, 11th, and 12th. Tim Sheen, Tim Sheen had one fifth-place appearance and still lasted four years. Do you think about... Did you bring up Don Parrish? Uh, Penrith. Uh, I didn't bring up Don Parrish. He only lasted lasted 82, 83. Then Bomber lasted two. Yep. But you think about Penrith, it would have been inconceivable for them in those early days for them to have sacked the coach, 100%, which won them a premiership. That's just the sign of the times. But just two years, two years after they picked up the Winfield t- Trophy, not only was it thought, for a time it looked like it was going to be a reality yeah, after that 93 It season. certainly was. And we're going to get into 1994. So again, more experienced players. Gilmeister, Darren Brown from Canterbury, Gary Freeman from East, Mark Bell from St. George. These are quality players. So now Greg Alexander is finally like, thank God I've got something to work with here to help me get the load off my shoulders with everything going on. And it was a really strong start to the season for Penrith that year in 94. They put together some really good performances. They put a good win up over the eventual, um, well, the previous season's grand finalists. They put a win up over St. George. And then they had a strong win against Wests. They were in the top five after round 10, but a collapse triggered by a visit to Concord Oval saw them fall apart at the seams. And they were flogged 30 to 10 and would only win four of their remaining games with Phil Gould getting sacked at the end of round 16. And that, uh, the sacking forward was after a Saturday night game at Cronulla which saw Phil, Phil Harrigan going up against Gus on the sidelines, which we brought up at the very beginning of the Super League podcast from memory. Yeah, um, we spoke about how coaches were being banned from the sideline because of what Gould did They were only in the 13-2 penalty count. I mean, yep, but I don't know how much it would have affected them. They did lose 32-0. And... You know, that just shows how far they've fallen from that premiership win. Because even earlier in the season... Losses to Morris and Brisbane. They lost 37-6. They lost 37-6 to the Broncos. And then, you know, just a couple weeks later, eight, uh, just, you know, seven weeks later, they casually beat the team that was eventually in the premiership in Canberra. But this, with this side they had, it's top five quality side. 100% it is. I mean, this is a side that just three years earlier was playing in their second straight grand final and lifted the trophy. You don't expect a side, you know, with that much, you know, that recently removed from a grand final to end up finishing in eighth position and to be sitting in tenth with three games remaining. 100%. Um, remember how we were talking um, about that British Lions tour that, in Super League? I just found out that went ahead. Yep. <laughs> okay. 
Because I was looking that at one of the thing? players that was playing in Penrith, and they just did a Everyone Bar Australia Lions tour. Yeah. With the and Super then, League officials refereeing. The reverse of that... The reverse of that was uh, the Australian team going up against the rest of the world. But I think... Um, their finals chances ended with an embarrassing loss to Lowly East, 32-8. Um, after strong seasons from Brandy, Freddie and Wiz, they all did struggle to combine together. And I think that's eventually what costed them. And I think that might wrap us up. It does. I mean, obviously, after that, you know, Brandy would leave to go Fiddler to the Warriors. Leave. Wiz would leave. Fiddler will leave to go to the Roosters. Everyone leaves, and then Simmons Following becomes that, a coach. Yeah, that's important. And they, they make the finals in the Super League, mm-hmm. finishing fifth. They in make 2000. the finals in 2000, the first year of the 14-team comp. And then they make the wooden spoon in 01. They're back down to the bottom. And then One we see another forward, dramatic two ride. steps back. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, it's a massive rise, finishing first and winning the it, premiership it's, it's in It's a 03. full circle. So that's another story. It's, that's another story 100%. entirely, though, you know? The rise, the rise back of Penrith from 1995 until 2003. And then the collapse again. They make the prelim final in 03. In 03. Four, they go for the Bulldogs, they? and then they don't make the finals again until 2010. You give me ideas for the next one, Roos. <laughs> it's just, oh, surely, surely we nah. don't go Penrith. Well, back well to I think back. next week, I think next edition of League Legacy, we might focus on Canberra. I'm not too sure yet. We'll have an ideas, but for now, Reese, thanks for joining me. No worries, Dana. It's always a pleasure to be on here. I love going over rugby league history and I love being able to crack some jokes while we're doing it tonight, even though, you know, there was a lot of tragedy involved, a lot of sadness, a lot of stern warnings to the younger generation, not to repeat the mistakes in the past. We definitely had some fun that time. That's where we're going to conclude League Legacy, episode two, Penrith Panthers, from premiers to disaster. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time. And I'll cut there. Thanks, Rose. That was fucking Not awesome. fucking bad. It's always fun, I'm telling you. It's uh, always fun when you get to my friend, this. and I'll see you on Sunday. I'll hear you from you on Sunday for Sean's. That, let me, let me have some fun editing this. <laughs> yeah, I'll uh, just it cut, should be I'll pretty easy. It should be pretty easy. Week. All right. Take care, mate. Take care. Too easy. Have fun. <laughs>